The Anton Savage Show. This is News Talk. Now, that quote from Simon Coveney saying there that restoring the Stormont executive would be made more challenging if the polls play out in the Northern Ireland election and we see a situation where we have a Sinn Féin First Minister with us is Mark Durkin, former SDLP leader and of course himself, uh, Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland. Morning, Mark. Morning, Anton. First of all, can I get your reaction to your, your former party colleague's um, suggestion that Sinn Féin primacy would make getting the Assembly back up and running tricky? Well, I don't think that's what we should be particularly uh, focused on, but we do have to recognise that Northern politics has produced a new variant of uncertainty uh, because obviously we have the indications from the DUP that Sinn Féin are the largest party and therefore under the St Andrews Agreement uh, would then get the sole right to nominate uh, First Minister. That would be a problem. That's the phrase that the DUP uh, have used. Now can you just and explain that Mark because they and other unionists have refused to say that they would nominate a deputy first minister. Now, can, uh, sorry, can you, for, for people listening to that the deputy role, the one that you held, is no different than the first minister position as I understand it. They are co-equal effectively first ministers. They're absolutely consubstantial. It's a consubstantial office. It's absolutely co-equal. The legislation in 98 based on the Good Friday Agreement as described all their functions in terms of the first and deputy first minister shall jointly and equally this, jointly and equally that. In fact, MPs, when that bill was being debated, nicknamed the joint office the joint lease uh, because everything uh, was joint and equal about the office. The problem is that sort of changed with the St Andrews agreement. More divergence, uh, more of a sense of less jointness was created by the St Andrews agreement. Under the Good Friday agreement, the first and deputy first ministers had to be jointly nominated and the nominations could be open. Uh, you didn't have to be from particular parties to be nominated. You didn't have to be from particular designations to be nominated. But you did have to be elected by the Assembly. That changed at St Andrews, to which introduced a, an algorithm, or I would call it a tribal algorithm, which said, oh, the deputy, the first minister shall come from the largest party, the largest designation, deputy first minister, the largest party of the second largest designation, except if the largest party isn't of the largest designation, they get uh, first minister. And of course, what that did was it allowed the DUP turn assembly elections that we've had ever since into essentially first past the post for first minister. They have created a false narrative that First Minister had some more significance, power or weight than the co-equal office of Deputy uh, First Minister. And now, basically, they have come up against their own uh, misleading uh, narrative. Well, on that uh, note, Mark, the there was a... It's, uh, happened, it's happened to them on Brexit indeed, as well. There was a, a political analyst on with Pat during the week who made the point that um, in sources within the DUP and uh, politicians within the DUP were pointing to the fact that the first initial of their name is democratic and that therefore, if it's the will of the people, they'll have to suck it up. Uh, yes, uh, that's true. But remember the will of the people for the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, was for something different than St Andrews. And if there are negotiations, if there is a standoff uh, after this, uh, and people look at renegotiating again how some of the institutions work, we could do worse than go back to the factory setting of the Good Friday Agreement, go back to the idea of joint election uh, by the Assembly, which doesn't 
you know, assign the nominating rights exclusively to two parties, just depending on the seat numbers that uh, emerge, because that formula at St Andrews is exactly what was used by Sinn Féin to keep the Assembly in abeyance for three years from 2017 to 2020, and it's now exactly what has been used by the DUP to hold everybody else's mandate to ransom. You know, when we negotiated the Good Friday Agreement, we deliberately created an almost unique form of elective inclusion to say parties would be entitled to nominate the government without being vetoed or vetoed by anybody else according to their mandate. What St Andrews has done is allow two parties to effectively veto everybody else's mandate and to paralyse the system. And that's what needs to be corrected. The St Andrews aberration, the St Andrews deviation from the Good Friday Agreement's provisions is what is causing this problem now. And the two governments need to realise that and need to accept that they were parties to that harm back in the St Andrews Agreement. Can I ask you to, for your views? Now, obviously, you, you have a dog in the fight being an active um, STP yes. supporter. But can I ask you your view on what the polls, if they are accurate, are showing about the movements within Northern Ireland politics? Because it would be easy at first glance to see, say, well, there is a, a pro-nationalist shift, but the shift seems to be more about Sinn Féin than it does about nationalism. What are you seeing as the factors that are at play and what does it say about the, the attitude of the electorate in Northern Ireland? Yeah, I, th- I think there's, there are a number of currents uh, running. Obviously, people, and I think it's right across the community, are very focused on the cost of living uh, crisis and all those pressures. People are also fed up and disgusted at the stop-go nature uh, of politics, you know, that uh, parties can basically move into rent a collapse and try to blame uh, everybody uh, else. And people... Some people see that as being a problem of what they see as the two big parties being able to play that. Uh, other people see, and this would obviously be particularly in the nationalist community, but I don't think only there, others see the DUP as being you know, particularly the source of an awful lot of the difficulties. Uh, obviously, the DUP's position uh, on Brexit and their insistence on a hard uh, Brexit, which ended up leading to uh, the protocol and the difficulties that they're now manufacturing over over the protocol mean that people uh, do want to see the influence and the standing of the DUP uh, dented and I think that shows in support for Sinn Féin that even though people are critical of some of Sinn Féin's uh, stances uh, and failures there is that effort there and certainly that's coming to the STLP as well in the sense that people are saying and they're probably saying this in other constituencies to Alliance that they want to maybe see if they can change the numbers around the executive table. And what uh, of the demographics of that, Mark? A, you're looking at a different spread of the vote coming through in some of the opinion polls now as opposed to a few months ago. Is there a big age shift? Are you seeing a difference in attitude from the cohort that have grown up with peace? Uh, I think there's a worry that some of the younger age group are, are basically just very switched off from the electoral politics offer uh, in the North. Uh, you find more of the young people just saying they're just not sure, sure is the Assembly going to uh, sit, is it not going to be uh, more of the same? Uh, you're getting that from some young people, whereas other young people uh, are very clear that uh, they think that something needs to change, uh, that you know the voting patterns of the last 15 uh, and 20 years have delivered these rolling stalemates, these rolling standoffs, uh, and they want something different. I think young people are concerned when they see the cost of living crisis, when they see the crisis in our public services and the lack of leadership. Some 
obviously are determined that they want radical action taken on those. Others are just despairing of whether or not our political process is going to be capable of delivering that sort of coherent uh, change. Mark, thank you very much. That's Mark Durkin, who is former SDLP leader and former Deputy First Minister and obviously a key person involved in the negotiation of the Good Friday Agreement. Now, picking up on the issues that we were discussing there to do with demographics, I'm joined by Bethany Moore, who is a pro-choice activist and, to use the term, peace baby by virtue of the fact that she is one of that generation of people growing up in Northern Ireland who knows only peacetime. For your generation Bethany and for your uh, friends and peers, as you look at this election, how significant is tribalism? How significant are the old divides? And how significant are the other issues? Um, I think for young people currently, the old way of, of tribalism and, you know, those green and orange, uh, very strict binaries um, is not what we're focused on at all. Um, I'm a pro-choice activist from Derry with the Grip Alliance for Choice Derry, and I will be basing who I vote for um, purely off the fact uh, that they support uh, the abortion regulations that came in in 2020. I'll also be looking at um, people's policies uh, and promises and previous work on things like climate change, LGBTQ plus um, issues, uh, how uh, they're planning to improve healthcare systems um, and things like that, what their stances are in relationship and sex education and many more things like that. Um, And I think for a lot of people, we're focusing on those um, central social issues um, rather than the binaries of, you know, green v orange. And do you think people will step out of their traditional tribal vote on those issues or will they try to find a party within or representative within their community who is closest or more closely aligned with what they want? I mean, I think it's a bit of a mix, to be honest. I was born in 1998. Um, Any of my peer group are looking away from, you know, the more traditional main executive parties so to speak um, but again I have noticed you know people that were born after me say in the 2000s and um, you know there is you know a small group of, of younger people again that are um, joining part- parties um, so I think it really depends but I think um, from being on the ground and speaking to people you know uh, everyone is just so fed up with the way things have been here before we want not only peace but uh, progress and prosperity for our communities and I think people are really looking at and what new options can deliver that for them. Is there much in the way of optimism? Because uh, at, at least from this distance, whatever the result of the election, it is hard to see a short-term solution where there is a functioning executive and a focus on things like quality of life, cost of living, health care, all of those matters that you would think should butter parsnips. I mean, it's really difficult. I always use the term, um, you know, about things like elections to be cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, if we don't go out and vote for the change we want to see, we, you know, we can't we can't count on that coming through. But again, you know, I think people um, in the North know that, you know, no matter what happens at Stormont, it's us, it's community groups, it's regional groups, it's grassroots activists. Um, you know, it's the community and voluntary sector that pick up the slack. We've always done that. 
that. We did that um, throughout three years where there was no executive. We've done that long before and we've done that long after. Um, you know, we will continue to do the work um, whether Stormont is there or not because that's what we've always done. I think it's, you know, it's a bit unfair that the people here have to be resilient, but we do have community at heart and we put our communities first. Um, and, you know, there's people on the ground that will do the work uh, and continue that no matter what happens at Stormont next week. Although, would you share Mark's concern that the frustration can very quickly lead to apathy that a younger generation can just say well what is the point with getting involved either with politics or even the simple act of voting if where it gets me is no further along towards any of my own needs um, I, I wouldn't agree. I don't think there's, uh, you know, an apathy. I think young people have never been more politically engaged. It just doesn't look like the typical ways um, that we would describe people being politically engaged. Uh, as I said, you know, there are people that are going to use their vote. There are some young people I've spoke to that aren't going to use their vote. And, you know, I think that's fair enough too. Um, we haven't seen great delivery from any of the main parties in the Stormont executive so far. Um, so again, you know, I think there is that frustration, but it doesn't mean that young people aren't engaged at all. That's just not true. Bethany, thank you very much for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Bethany Moore, who is a pro-choice activist and, as I say, a peace baby because of uh, being born of that generation that has grown up in a peaceful Northern Ireland. 